things. I just decided, you know what? I have to paint. I'm not going to paint anything. I'm just going to go in, move things around. And as soon as I was doing this, they actually kind of transformed into these weird landscapes. And so as soon as I turned these weird landscapes, I was just thinking about the like archaic origins of Earth and how there's all these different theories for how life originated on Earth. Billions of years of, of, of a process, Earth is just a collection of rocks all formed together. And we may possibly be Martians and not Earthlings and how life came through this cosmic cloud that like drove by Earth and like the spores like went into Earth and like was implanted itself and eventually that blossomed all life as we know it today or um, the last known common ancestor, Luca. I was just thinking about these things and then I started to think about how, you know, there's something very sentimental here. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 287th interview, I'm excited to be joined by Tristan Lindo, who spoke with me from Lawrence, Kansas, where he currently resides. We talk all about the evolution of his studio practice, which started with drawing, built into painting, and adopting a number of different approaches. We talk extensively about a two-year stop-motion animation that he made in completing his thesis degree. It's entitled Stacia Genesis. And we talk about how that came together, how he made the soundtrack for it, and of course highlighted some recent projects, and especially his solo exhibition entitled What Now? that's up at Mercer Gallery at Garden City Community College in Garden City, Kansas. That show runs through March 10th, so you want to check it out if you're in the area. You can also check out his work on his website, tristanrobertlindo-artist.com. And of course, you can find him on Instagram at trisroblind. As always, you can find links to all of this on our post on Studio Break, which again, if you are checking out Studio Break for the first time, we got a bunch of different artists featured there. Each of those posts that we make have images of their work, links to their websites, and of course, you can listen right there on Studio Break. We've got a big archive, so check out all the great artists that have been featured. While you're there, you can always sign up for our newsletter. You can find us in social media, so be sure to like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break. And, of course, be sure to say hello on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. With those brief announcements, let's dive right into this interview with Tristan Lindo. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Tristan Lindo, how are you doing this morning? Doing good. We are here well again we became acquainted via instagram you know again um came familiar with your work again we'll we'll break it all down so and obviously you know going to school in kansas i'm of course going to ask is that specifically where you're from the kansas area i'm originally from garden city kansas which is on the southwestern side and i currently reside in lawrence kansas which is on the north eastern side <laughs> right on yeah i've been there one time so uh, but I remember it being a pretty cool place to be, you know, a lot of, a lot of music going on, if I'm not mistaken. I feel like there's a concert like somewhere every night and I'm missing all of them. It's probably apt to start there. Cause you know, obviously that's one of the things that we've been kind of communicating about. Cause you do a lot of music along with painting, mixed media work and, and things like that. Were you always somebody that was kind of like dabbling, you know, drawing, playing guitar or did all those things come at different times? Yeah, I think it's good to say that they all definitely came at different times. I, for sure, have always been incredibly in love with drawing. One of my earliest memories as a kid is just having a bunch of markers, crayons, pencils, etc. And just drawing all the time. And like that really just continued up until like I was old enough, like in high school. And I realized I'm, I think I might have an obsession with this thing and music. It, it's kind of funny. I don't really consider myself to be like, like professional musician by any means. Like I can read music, but it takes me a long time. I really have to sit with it. Mm-hmm. And I started playing drums when I was in like fourth or fifth grade and because of where I lived my my mom bless her and also my aunt um I didn't want to curse them with the loudness of percussion so I (laughs) abandoned that and then I 
was playing piano for a little bit, but then I kind of lost interest and I really wish I could go back in time and tell myself, stick with it. You could actually <laughs> be kind of good at it. When I was in middle school, yeah, I think middle school, like when I was like 12 or 13, I became incredibly hooked to the world of guitars and I would say guitar is my primary instrument and I feel like I have the best understanding of it but at the same time when I discovered guitars and like how you can play so many different genres on them I, I, I realized I'm like oh wow this is going to be something that I'm going to be stuck exploring for the rest of my life and here I am a decade or so later mm -hmm. still playing guitar and still learning so much and that's the same thing with painting I feel like when I fell in love with painting when I was uh, undergrad I, I realized like oh this is going to be something that I'm going to be obsessed with and want to keep learning about for the rest of my life and I feel incredibly grateful that I discovered these things that now I'm forever obsessed with and I'm never going to get out of the rabbit hole. Sure. No, that's a good feeling really, you know, and to think about it, you know, they're both kind of super creative outlets as we've been kind of talking about, you know, privately <laughs> a little bit, a little bit before this, but I'm assuming then too, like, you know, as you're, as you're kind of making all these drawings and things like that, you took like probably a bunch of like art class and things like that in grade school, high school. When I was in elementary school, we had a really cool instructor that worked at multiple schools and he would come around and give us like some art lessons and each he would come once a week and there'd be like a different thing we would work on that would either be like a drawing, maybe some kind of a sculpture, but he himself did a lot of illustration. Mm -hmm. So we did end up doing a lot more drawing kind of things. And when I was a kid, I was like, oh, this is my wheelhouse. I got this baby. And I remember every time he came, I was so excited because it was like, oh, what are we going to do today? What am I going to have to think about and like create now? And definitely outside school too, I was always thinking about things. And of course, making a bunch of failed attempts and getting frustrated and being like, ah, oh, how can I draw this? Like, what can make it better? And sometimes I'd get the answer down the line and other times I'd just be like, you know what? I'm not going to stress about it. I'm just going to keep drawing and, you know, have fun with it. In high school, I took some classes, again, mostly drawing. And I think I did maybe one. It was kind of like a general art class where, like, the instructor kind of taught, like, all the different mediums, like ceramics, painting, drawing, sculpture, etc. And it wasn't until, like, the end of high school I, for the first time, actually used oil paint. My reaction the first time I touched it was, like, this is incredibly weird, like, because I wasn't used to painting. Like, drawing was, like, my bread and butter. I love to draw. And I was kind of like, oh, this is interesting, but I don't know. Like, maybe I'll come back to it, but we'll see. And I guess it wasn't until I started college i went to garden city community college for my first two years and my incredible professors that were there brian mccallum and now it's michael knudsen who's there now but they had gotten this guy named joel dugan who at the time was at fort hayes state university he had come down with uh, michael knudsen who was actually visiting at the time and they had done a painting demo and i remember joel dugan came in and i was like he, he was painting one of my classmates. I think I actually was the second student he painted from as a reference. And I just remember I was watching Joel Dugan work with oil paint and I was just like completely dumbfounded. I remember watching him. I was like, how in the world is he looking at reality, taking it and with these really like meticulous strokes, at least in my perspective, these meticulous strokes, He's creating these beautiful forms of color and these like weird shapes that make these definitions of a person. How does he do it? And then I looked at his work that was in the gallery at the time. And I remember again, I was looking at him. I was like, oh my gosh, he was, some of his paintings, they referenced these collages he would make. And I remember again, like, wow, like I, I love the collages he made, but I mean, just seeing how he painted them and how he like, use the material to form them. I was so inspired. And then that was the moment where I was like, okay, 
I want to do that. Like I want to paint. I want to get into the world of oil painting and I want to like redefine reality like Joel Dugan. And actually that's one of his pieces right there. I was fortunate enough as kind of a send off present when I graduated from undergrad, he had given that to my sister and I, and, and he also inspired me to eventually transfer to Fort Hay State University where I got my BFA and I was lucky enough to have him as my mentor and painting professor. And I got to be his TA too. It, it was really, it was one of those moments where I feel like it was like a dream that was realized. Like I got to work with this amazing artist. So I still keep in touch with here and there. And I'll never forget the time I had with him. And I really thank him because, I mean, I love oil painting, but also when I went to grad school and I'm totally just kind of rambling here, but like <laughs> I fell in love with gouache. I had never, ever touched gouache until I was in grad school. In fact, I was like, what even is gouache? Like, what do you do with it? Do you eat it? Like, what is it? <laughs> and I used it for the first time and I was like, wow, okay, this is really similar to oil painting in a way. Like there's something here. Unlike when I was a high schooler with oil painting, at this moment, I was like, okay, I got to buy me some gouache. I got to dig into it. And boy, just like oil painting and guitars and music, like I'm in the, I'm in the wormhole now. Like I'm just, I'm there and I'm not coming back out anytime soon. Well, and I'm curious then too, like in terms of like subjects and interests, was it always something that was kind of, you know, kind of dealing with narratives or kind of like, I don't know, there's there's still like a lot of representational aspects to your work. And, you know, certainly some of the artists that you were just talking about being inspired by working with, you know, I'm assuming that part of it was just like, how do they make something look realistic? So I'm assuming like subjects, those were the types of things that you're interested. Was it like figurative stuff or, um, and again, we're thinking about, uh, you know, I definitely want to talk a little bit about undergraduate as well. So like, you know, maybe up into that experience, was it always kind of like, I've got to make something that looks like something, if that makes sense. It's funny saying this out loud, but it's one of those things I never really took a whole lot of consideration into, like in the moment when I was an undergrad or like even like when I started my undergrad career, I definitely wanted to make things that represented feelings and or scenarios or um, fictional narratives that I was thinking about. And I'm sure as many people that have gone into undergrad, like for visual arts may understand, I would say all like that I was doing in undergrad was like a big boiling pot. It was like making a stew. I was working on one thing, like I was wanting to make a narrative about these fictional characters, a guy named Malvin, who was going to start a political movement called Malvinism. And he wore a paper bag over his head and he covered himself completely. He never exposed any part of himself because he was a character that wanted to stand for unity amongst everybody in the world. And he eventually, unfortunately, because of the human condition, he, he was assassinated and his movement was carried on by his followers. So there is that huge thing that I was thinking about in undergrad. And then there is my fascination with interesting, like kind of, I don't want to say cryptids necessarily, but like thinking about these weird things that occur in our world that have been documented to some degree and people still talk about to this day, such as like the Mothman or the weird staircases that are in the woods in some of our national parks that have no explanation and there's a warning to never go up them. And I was working on stuff of that nature, but then I was working on something else that was this kind of small kind of body of work. There is representational. There was somewhat of a reference to figurative elements, but also it was just kind of like a collage kind of an event where like there'd be like boats and people, but without heads or hands, like they'd be like dressed up in clothes, <laughs> but there wouldn't be a body filling it. It was all over the place. And I think I'm really glad that I did all these things and because, you know, I'm not doing them now. Like I could, I could be pessimistic and say, <laughs> oh, that was all for nothing. Like now I'm not even doing any of that. But it really did help me to understand, oh, okay. Like this is what I liked from all of that. And this is what I don't ever want to do again, ever in my life from sure. all of that. And one thing too, is just like thinking about like my 
work from high school and undergrad, as I'm sure you might feel too, David, <laughs> if I could put all my undergrad work in a vault and throw it into the deepest, darkest part of the <laughs> sea, I would, because there are some things I just, I have, and I'm going to keep for myself, but like, I'm never, ever going to display it anywhere because it's not anywhere near what I'm doing now. And I'm sure I feel the same way about what I'm doing now when I'm like 50 or 60 or something. I'll be like, oh man, what was I doing? Right, right. Well, no, again, I, I get that. But I also think like certainly it sounds like thematically there's a lot of things that kind of carry over, you know, or you know, even just some of the things that we're talking about. Like, you know, I immediately start thinking about science fiction film or I don't know, themes that can be exploited, but in different ways later, more sophisticated ways, which is essentially kind of like what you're doing in graduate school, you know, but like in terms of undergraduate, like were you taken then, you know, like printmaking and every type of class then drawing, painting, you know, sculpture, because you got to take that for like a gen ed or like a BFA kind of degree? Yeah. um, So I was fortunate enough to do a lot of different mediums. I did quite a few ceramics courses with Brian McCallum, who I, I love his work. And I think he was a really good instructor, very encouraging. And um, also he, he'll push you in a good direction to like really make you step up your ceramic game. Sorry, Brian, I haven't done ceramics in a long time. <laughs> Maybe eventually I'll do it again. I did a lot of printmaking under an uh, individual named Gordon Sherman bless his soul he's no longer with us anymore he was also another instructor he really pushed his students really hard um, with all the different techniques we did we did a lot of intaglio i was i love intaglio i did some sculpture i did drawing and painting and that was really it you know this might actually get my bfa revoked so (laughs) you know i'm just ripping the band-aid off I never took like a introduction to design class. My professors were like, we're just going to skip that. You don't need to take the foundations of design. And I'm like, are you sure? I don't know about that. Maybe I do. And I was kind of like thrown into like, like immediately thrown into some classes. Like, I guess I should preface it where you had to take like a foundations to design course before you took drawing, painting, printmaking, et cetera. And so I skipped over that. I didn't take any of like foundational design courses. And I think I did all right. Like, I mean, I graduated, but at the same time, I remember just being so nervous. I'm like, what if there's something that I don't know about? And like, I'm working like on a painting or I'm doing printmaking and like, they're gonna, like the professors would be like, don't you know the basic elements of design? Like, what is this composition you're doing? Sure. (laughs) It never happened, but I did have some really good critiques, though, and, like, I got challenged, and I'm very thankful for it because it helped me to think about what I was doing. And, you know, I think something that's always fun is to go back and revisit, like, the basic elements of design, like, thinking about the standard things because I think a lot of times like when you're working you don't think about it at least for me I have like a vision of something that I really want to do and sometimes I need a reference to achieve this thing and I decide you know what I just want to try it on my own see how it goes and I'm going to deal with it and sometimes I hate that I do that because it sometimes makes some of the little things in the composition look kind of wonky or there's like little imperfections but there's another side of me that's like you know what for just going into this without actually having a reference i did okay i did pretty well you know and it's not really about showing like my technical abilities it's just like trying to create and like make this vision come alive which is something that i'm always just like it's kind of my obsession. Like I want to take what I'm thinking about and like really make it happen, like make it accessible to people to also see what I'm thinking about. Maybe that's not a good thing. Maybe people don't want to know what's going <laughs> on in my mind, but I mean, sometimes I question what I'm thinking about. I No, I mean, again, I think that all comes into play, right? I mean, that's how you develop things. You know, one of my favorite things um, is that I have a commute in some ways, you know, like it sucks because I'm, wasting hours of my life driving but like I usually usually get something worked out you know like in terms of thinking about work or something that I want to do but um 
to not digress too far. So in terms of kind of like, you know, that experience, it sounds like you were kind of all over the map a little bit. Was that something then like then obviously like, you know, I was just hinting at like in graduate school, they usually kind of, again, really impress upon you. Like you got to got to get it together. (laughs) Was was it just a straight transition from undergraduate to graduate school? Like I'm just going to go right in or did you take any time off or? That's a great question. And I think that's also something that I love asking other artists is like, what did you do after undergrad? Because I think there isn't a right or wrong answer. And I definitely want to say I am an advocate for taking some time off after undergrad. Mm -hmm. I took a year off. And in that year, I got a full-time job that I probably will never return to. (laughs) I know it became the juggling act, as I like to call it, where you have to have income in order to live, to pay bills, to get supplies, but you also need to find the time to do your studio practice. And, you know, no one's going to give it to you. You have to make it work for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so having that time off from undergrad going to the grad school made me so grateful for when I did get into grad school and I got a studio space. And I guess this is kind of funny. I should have said this earlier, but I come from humble beginnings and I can't thank my family enough. You know, we really always have made do with what we have and we're always very grateful for what we have because, you know, we don't come from money, you know, and I'm glad we don't. And I never want to, like, I never want to like have my social class be something that I thrive off of because I don't know. I'm just so grateful for everything that I have right now. And I mean, to some people, it may not be a whole lot, but to me, like, I feel like I'm living my best life. Gosh, that was a long answer. But yeah, I (laughs) took a year off and I really tried to make a kind of small body of work that was more cohesive. It was still a little bit all over the place, but that was the reason why I wanted to go to grad school. I wanted to focus on making something that was very well-rounded collectively, but also had still that element of, oh, this is Tristan being weird and making these things. But at the same time, there's still this really nice injection of like the sentimental meaning behind it all. Because before I went to grad school, I was making things I was really proud of, but I just felt like in terms of people looking at it, I don't know if they would respond to it the same way that I was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the age old question, who's my audience? I never want my audience to be like one particular group of people. And I think it's impossible to really have your work be for everybody. As mm-hmm. much as we'd love it to be, it's just impossible. And I think it's good to realize that, you know, like it's good to be like, I want to make work that anyone can enjoy. Like, um your paintings david i your paintings are so beautiful and like seriously i'm not saying that because i'm on your podcast and i want to be nice like i'm being <laughs> <Sure>. super <laughs> super honest artist to artist like oh, you i love your work and i feel like a lot of people can enter it i think a lot of people can really have something from it like they can really put themselves into your work and that's something that I was really trying to focus on myself like in grad school because I just want to make work that I really enjoy, but also other people can really enjoy too. Yeah. Well, and it seems like, you know, just by looking at some of this work and again, I should probably make sure that I direct people to the right place. So help me out. It's Tristan Robert Lindo dash artist.com. But yeah, if, if you head over there, you can find, you know, all sorts of information to Instagram and stop motion animation stuff and, and obviously your work. But one of the things that's kind of interesting for me to think about it relative to, you know, some of the things that we've been talking about, you know, being able to kind of invite people in is that there's kind of like a real mystery to your work and that, I don't know, it, it doesn't seem heavy handed in the sense that when you look at it, it's something that you immediately are like, oh, that's about you know again I don't have a good example that uh, is jumping off the top of my head but hopefully that makes sense I feel like there's a lot of times where you have all of these things that you're kind of like feeling and experience that you want to channel into something that everybody reads and I think it's kind of a fine line to leave it open-ended for people 
And so, you know, to kind of direct it back to, to your work specifically, then maybe, maybe talk a little bit about how some of these ideas that you were kind of working through that were feeling separate and undergraduate kind of came together in graduate school. Was there like a, a particular piece that kind of like kicked it all off where you're like, oh, this is, this is my thesis. At the end of my undergrad career and like right when I was going into the unknown of, oh, I'm leaving undergrad now, what's going to happen? I had become very, very infatuated with David Lynch and Hilma F. Clint. Mm-hmm. And Hilma F. Clint, if anyone's, I mean, I'm pretty sure a lot of people will recognize David Lynch, but Hilma F. Clint, her work, gosh, it's so mysterious, but also there's something about it that I'm just so attracted to. Like she made her own systems. She made her own sort of universe. And I mean, I know not a whole lot about her. I mean, I have read about her, but like, I just am so fascinated by how she made all this work and like kept it away. She didn't want people to see it until like X amount of years after her passing. And then they had that exhibition, I think it was at the MoMA, but there's just all these paintings that no one had seen except for like that very little handful of like friends and family. And it was like this work that transcended time and it just blew my mind. Both artists, I'd say, something that I found so incredibly fascinating was they're making these open-ended works, but at the same time, they were still about the artist at the end of the day. It was about them depicting their life through their mediums and I remember the first time I watched Eraserhead and Twin Peaks I remember just thinking about there's a lot of like David Lynch's life in here that maybe uh, intentionally unintentionally he's like injecting into his work and I was just thinking like wow like I want to do that like I really want to put myself into my work but also have it be unfamiliar at the same time because i am a strong believer that we can find familiarity within the unfamiliar i really do believe that we can feel love we can feel friendship we can feel loss through depictions of things that may not necessarily be human and you know, something else from like my upbringings, I remember this really sentimental animation called The Brave Little Toaster. And I remember I rewatched it when I was older. And I just remember thinking like, that's after I watched it, I, like I was, I was pretty much crying. I was just thinking like, I'm getting emotional <laughs> over a toaster, a vacuum cleaner, a lamp, like, and thinking about that, and especially like in grad school, I reminded myself of that. I reminded myself that we don't need necessarily human figures to help us understand something. We can have something that looks like a walnut, a brain. We can create something that is a substitution for ourselves. And we can put it into literally anything, a toaster. If a toaster can make you cry, like anything can. And mm-hmm. with Stacia Genesis, it was both the name of my thesis exhibition and also the 16-minute stop-motion animation that I had created. I went to grad school in 2019, and we all know what happened in the spring of 2020. Mm -hmm. Wah, wah. (laughs) Before um, COVID started in 2019, I was starting to make some work that was, in my mind, more Mm -hmm. political speaking. And unfortunately... In that time, I had a friend of mine who had passed away from leukemia, and she was my age. And I remember for like two days, I was just stuck in the grieving process and just thinking about, wow, this existence we all share together is so fragile. I mean, it wasn't my first um, exposure with death by any means. I mean, I've had family members, pet, and other friends that had um, passed away too. I mean, we all have, but just in this moment, like I just remember this was the one passing of somebody I loved that was just so shocking. And I, I was, it was very hard to believe. It still is very hard to believe, but 
that was a huge, uh, in a weird way, inspiration for Seisha. I remember immediately after her passing, I was making these really abstract paintings. I just decided, you know what? I have to paint. I'm not going to paint anything. I'm just going to go in, move things around. And as soon as I was doing this, they actually kind of transformed into these weird landscapes. And so as soon as I turned these weird landscapes, I was just thinking about the like archaic origins of Earth and how there's all these different theories for how life originated on Earth. Billions of years of, of, of a process, Earth is just a collection of rocks all formed together. And we may possibly be Martians and not Earthlings and how life came through this cosmic cloud that like drove by earth and like the spores like went into earth and like was implanted itself and eventually that blossomed all life as we know it today or um the last known common ancestor luca and i was just thinking about these things and then i started to think about how you know there's something very sentimental here i was thinking about the toaster again you know i was thinking about how something that isn't necessarily a human can make one feel very sentimental and think about life. And I was thinking about how I want to make work about this. I want to make work about just life because I feel that life for everybody, this is something that I think is applicable to absolutely everybody. We wake up one day, or at least we get old enough to acknowledge, okay, this is the name I've been given. I'm in this part of earth. I'm of this gender, I'm of this race, I'm of this political affiliation, et cetera, et cetera. And then there comes a point where it's like, okay, I, I'm in the middle of all of, the, all of these things and I have to figure out who am I? Who do I wanna be? And it's incredibly hard, you know, like it, you have to look around too and acknowledge everything that's going around us. And it feels like you have to pick sides and there are good sides there are bad sides there's also neutral sides and you have to just kind of swim through everything and I want to make work about this but I told myself I don't really want to make work with humans because at that time like in 2020 Black Lives Matter was like huge and like mm -hmm. it was getting all the attention that it does need and I just remember that I was just really kind of fed up with humans as I think we all are you know like humans like we suck <laughs> I was just thinking like okay I need a break from humans right now and also being who I am you know I was thinking okay I want to make work that's accessible to everybody and right now I don't really want to make work that has me in it necessarily because I want again to really have work that anyone can get into and feel what I'm trying to say in it. And so with Seisha, the whole point of it was, we see this hexagonal kind of vessel originate out of nowhere in space. And it travels through, it lands on the planet Seisha. And from this vessel, a seed comes out. And from that seed, we see this entity, this kind of creature that looks like a brain or a walnut. And it's really inspired by just wanting to create something that was organic, but again, not human at all. Like I didn't want to make anything that was of a human. I didn't want to talk. I wanted the whole piece to be silent, but have music that I created. And it was just basically, okay, this creature has awakened on the planet Seisha. What is it like? What does its lifespan look like? and doesn't meet anybody along its way. And so again, you're, you're in school and, you know, professors are getting on your case and whatnot. So obviously, you know, like in terms of the paintings, I'm assuming these then are like mostly a lot of gouache and like drawing um, and works on paper, things like that. A lot of the thesis work that I made was a lot of gouache paintings and also some oil paintings and some of the work too, is some pieces that I made for the stop motion animation that I decided to create collages out of after the animation was finally completed. And I'm curious, like, 
again, I talk to students about this too, because there's like artists that keep sketchbooks and then artists that are like, forget this, let's just get into it. Are you somebody that kind of has to like write down ideas and kind of like think about them? Or are you kind of more like hands-on, I want to kind of just get making? I think I definitely have a bit of both in me. Mm-hmm. I, especially with Seisha Genesis, like that whole body of work, I think I have pages and pages and pages of like different notes for, okay, this is what I want them to look like. This is what I don't want the entities to look like. This is some qualities of the planet. This is what I want to avoid about the planet. Mm -hmm. And also um, in the stop motion animation, there are moments where the entities turn around in space. So I had to draw them like, millions of times it doesn't really matter the number of how many times i drew them but it's just the fact that's like i am a true believer like if you really want to achieve something like a two-dimensional thing rotating in space you have to draw 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 because it's definitely not something you can just i i can't do it anyway like i Mm -hmm. wish i could it'd be great to just do it and not have to think about how that looks but well and i think that's probably how you find your aesthetic too in terms of like this pod kind of like creature form you know in terms of kind of like finalizing what it looks like it maybe maybe talk a little bit about like you know in terms of how these are coming together are you kind of like working on each chunk as like a thing that will lead into the next or are you kind of jumping around a little bit in terms of what you're trying to accomplish or yeah, that's a very good question. And again, I just want to say briefly before I answer, I love how you ask these kind of questions with all of your artists on your podcast, David. It's it's because it's so different with so many different artists. And for me, um, with the animation, I definitely had in mind, okay, I don't really want to make a billion different settings because I feel like with our life, especially in the times of COVID, we weren't really going to many places. And mm-hmm. I feel like for many people throughout history, you know, we usually are in like one place for a long duration of time. And we have places that become familiar and gradually become unfamiliar, where it's still the same city, but a lot has changed. People have left, um, environments a little different. So when I was planning it out, I basically did kind of storyboard it. And I have a lot of other, like, I, I'm going to call them failed settings because they didn't make it into the animation nor the body of work for my thesis exhibition. But yeah, I made a lot of notes about, like, the story. I kind of broke it down into chapters. And in the in the animation, it starts off the origin, the acknowledgement of I'm somewhere, I'm somewhere and I have to make something out of it. And then we transition into the discovery of a friend that comes from the sky. We have this seashell-looking vessel that crashes into Seisha, and we see that there is another kind of a entity inside of it. And we see that, unfortunately, it's kind of succumbing to the sort of damage of crashing into the planet. And the main entity acknowledges, oh, hi, but you're also going away and this is sad. Like we just barely met and you're already gone. But then we see in sort of like the transition that in the passing of this sky creature, we see that vegetation blossoms from the ruins of itself. And eventually we see that there's another little entity that grows from out of the remains of the sky creature. And the two, those two entities make a friendship. They become very close. And the conclusion of it all that I was absolutely adamant about is that the original entity that we see from the very beginning enters a realm that is unknown to itself and to its friend. And we don't know what happens on the other side of this, this other, another really big sort of green vessel. We don't see what's on the other side. And we can't even comprehend it until we ourselves get to that side. No, I mean, again, it seems very much like a reflection, obviously, on our experience, you know. And it's really interesting to think about it, too, because, like, it, you know, the obviously all the color is kind of preserved for this interaction between these two. 
you know, and again, you kind of start like getting floral things and, and, and things like that. But I like how you kind of find different visuals for different things. Like I, you know, was kind of maybe describing like some of those initial things that are going on. It's just like this giant texture, you know, where you're imagining like something going through like a, a solar system kind of feel, you know? And so I especially like the way that those drawn components start to kind of fit in to the language that you kind of create. And I know that that's something that people, I'm certainly guilty of talking about that visual language that people kind of create. But I think for me, that's, you know, that's your style, that's your aesthetic, that kind of makes it feel like it's all melting together. And so, you know, to kind of think about this, you know, obviously I'm assuming this was being projected, you know, as you're kind of talking about, you had essentially kind of done the soundtrack for it, um, you know, if you will. But then maybe talk a little bit about some of the static kind of like artwork, because immediately I start wondering if it's kind of like um, um, William Kintridge in that, like, again, I don't know if you have had the privilege of seeing like a Kintridge exhibition, but you see all these animations on the wall and then you see all these, you know, like pieces that are finished works from the process of making. So I'm assuming those paintings are things that were incorporated into the animation and the works on, on paper and whatnot for the... Uh, for the thesis? Yeah. So all the paper pieces from my exhibition were either backdrops or actual collages of the like creatures and the landscapes. And the oil paintings were basically kind of like, I like to think of them as chapter illustrations or of different scenes from the animation and there's actually one oil painting that is kind of a epilogue i would say that isn't a part of the animation mm-hmm. it was kind of fun to use the actual pieces from the animation but then to also make these little kind of homages or these little sort of like settings of these oil paintings that depict particular scenes that I was very attracted to and they're kind of depicted in a different way but again it's very familiar adjacent to the animation where oh okay like for example the revolving imploration Mm -hmm. the, the way that that plays out in the animation looks quite different but in terms of how I painted it, I wanted it to be sort of this really kind of visually weird and also beautifully kind of dark, but also light. Like there's this nice balance of what's happening because, again, we see the floor of Sanctia on the left, but then on the right, we see this sort of empty darkness that leads somewhere but we don't know where exactly well and something about that piece that i kind of really like too are these there's kind of like a series of these ring type shapes that kind of repeat with it being a little bit you know in terms of like the light and contrast towards the center so that certainly kind of pops forward there you go the design thing right but then again those kind of like cascade along the edges to like kind of slowly diminish and scale and get a little bit less intense or contrasty and so for me it kind of talks a little bit about that transformation or that passage of time or you know like again it's interesting to think about it you know in comparison to a you know 17 minute animation 16 minute animation you know to kind of think about how there are those aspects in there another one that you know makes me kind of think of is this is it uh wandering wondering which is kind of like a triptych kind of built together but again, it seems like those are three different stages maybe then, or chapters, if you will. But maybe talk a little about that one as well. Wandering, wondering, what was happening in terms of like the animation in this um, oil painting is, I would say like the three-fourths part of the animation where the main entity enters the green cave or the cavern of the unknown. And it starts its voyage into this unknown place. And that's um, depicted on the left of this built-in triptych. And in the middle, we have this kind of op-art-looking sphere. And for me, what this sphere sort of represents is the sort of unprecedented quality of tomorrow. Like, tomorrow, we're going to plunge through one of those little um, 
crevice, one of those little openings in the sphere. And we don't know where we're going to end up. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, sort of my thoughts on like spirituality. Like, I have no idea what's going to happen after this. Like, I don't know. Like, I have no answers. And I think it's okay if no one does. And on the right, we see the entity's friend, the one that blossomed from one of the flower-like things in the beginning of the animation, observing this green cavern. And it's wondering if the main entity is ever going to return or if this is it. Like, do I, too, have to one day go into that green cavern? Like, is this something that's inevitable for me if I wish to see this entity again? And altogether, collectively, it's sort of taking the sort of act of thinking about somebody and somebody going through unknown hard time and it's existing simultaneously, just as we're existing simultaneously with so many people that are in that stage of their life where it's like, well, I don't know what tomorrow holds for me. And we all are in that same boat, really. Like, we don't know what will happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So in a way, the two entities in the painting are divided. They're in completely different stages of their life cycles. But at the same time, they're in it at the exact same time. So there really isn't a difference other than just time and the mysterious quality of it, how the mechanism of time functions. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I think it's super interesting to think, especially too, about how all of this stuff would kind of be presented in that same space. Because again, you've got like this really kind of long format kind of like exploration. And then you've got all these kind of distilled things to kind of bring up, you know, these questions, hopefully to, to viewers. And again, I don't certainly think that there are questions that, you know, people, kick around their head from time to time right you know especially like if you've been to you know we've mentioned landscape peripherally a little bit but i mean like if you haven't been to a place where you feel tiny you're missing something you know you go out to the middle of nowhere wyoming and it's like oh right like these mountains are gigantic and i'm very small but again it seems like a really kind of interesting you know kind of pursuit in terms of kind of like playing around with those themes and trying to find a way for them into the work. And I would imagine though, that's something that kind of has continued because again, to kind of see some of the more recent work or at least stuff that's gone on since then, I would imagine that there's a way in for, for some of those pieces. So maybe we could kind of transition a little bit to talking about what you've been kind of working on now, because there seems to be like another story, another world, or I don't know, maybe, maybe tell us a little bit about this. Is this kind of another continuation, another chapter, a prequel, uh, those are very popular in pop culture anyways, but tell us a little about what you've been doing now. It's been really fun. Something, leaving grad school, something I had told myself, um, and I'm sure other people that have had the same experience, maybe they feel the same way, but something that I told myself immediately when I was done is, okay, whether or not I continue with Seisha, like if I make a prequel or a sequel, mm-hmm. uh, I... I needed I need to take a break and distance myself from it because I was in grad school for three years, but Satia, a Genesis, the animation, I had worked on it for two years and the whole body of work was done from 2021 to 20, early 2022. And so I just told myself, look, you know what? You deserve a break from it. Let's just paint to paint again. So I just started to make like small observational paintings. I actually didn't send any of those to you because I decided, oh, I don't really want to talk about them because there's just like little studies. And I think something that was kind of funny, I sent you the one image, it's called Panic. It's just this little charcoal drawing of myself. Mm-hmm. And the only I wanted to send that. It really, it's kind of funny because it has nothing at all to do with like what I'm doing right now. But I think what was important about it is it was a moment in my studio career right now where I'm working a full-time job again at this really awesome place called Wonder Fair. It's a stationery and art supply store. And I work with some other really fabulous artists and creatives. And um, I just want to quickly shout out to them because they've helped me to keep this momentum in my studio. And in the time of just making to make, I actually decided, you know what, 
I think it's time for me to do another narrative kind of piece because I've been thinking about it for a while because I really enjoy it. And honestly, it's kind of funny. It really wasn't that long of a wait, I suppose. Like um, January 1st, I'd say like this year, I decided, okay, I have an idea for something, another science fantasy kind of thing, but it's going to be different from Seisha, but it's still going to focus on something that's very distinctly human related. And so enter Zanropa, which is this kind of new body of work that I began to do. And Zanropa, I just want to say real quick, is a kind of live experiment where I'm in real time working on writing these kind of chapters for it. And I'm pumping out some kind of smaller scale gouache paintings that correlate with the writing. And Zanropa is the name of this planet that has been created by humans in an unknown time. And it's like made out of complete like metal. And in X amount of years, one of the robots that the humans created to help them make the planet wakes up and discovers, oh, all the humans have left this um, utopia that they wanted to create. And now I'm here, kind of similar to the entity from Seisha. What do I do now? What's my purpose? I need to investigate and figure out what I can do now that the humans are gone and I have to clean up their mess now. Well, it's kind of interesting, too, because, again, to kind of break this down is, you know, there's also like this kind of like figure then that's kind of like going around and interacting these different scenes. So, for example, I think one of them that that kind of, you know, jumps out um, is this exiting the terminal one, um, which I'm imagining is that like awakening kind of moment, if you will, or that like realization like, oh, right, where did every what did, what went on? And it's kind of interesting because you get that feel in terms of like. You know, there's kind of like a greenish kind of, you know, tint to things. So you can imagine some kind of weird light in like a industrial kind of like setting. But then, you know, like if we go down a couple, you know, in, in terms of like progression, um, there's other ones like this one, the garden, which kind of incorporates more of these kind of like, I don't know, maybe like areas that are outside of this industrial place or I don't know, maybe kind of talk a little about that. The garden, this is a place that is essentially a large kind of dome that is imitating the qualities of how earth was like back in the time before they built this paradise in the cosmos and it ha we have some weird vegetation that looks kind of experimental but it's funny that we're talking about this piece because this is one of the pieces that i feel like i injected myself probably the most and honestly because I have this fascination with all of like the plant life that we're surrounded by. And also, you know, I am reminded of the, this sad history of industrialization and how like we've destroyed so much of our planet. And this is a kind of a, I don't want to say ironic because I feel like I'll be using the word wrong, but like, this is a setting where it's kind of like my depiction of, Oh, we love nature like we're so attracted to it but at the same time we're willing like in this story for example the humans like are willing to take these essential things for our planet and literally bring it somewhere like light years away and it's kind of like my realization of if this were to be real i could see this being something that would actually happen where oh, let's take our actual resources we need here on Earth and let's send it somewhere else like so we can have it for ourselves on this paradise in space. There's this really cool place. And I, I promise I'm not, I don't have any sponsorships. <laughs> I keep mentioning places in local. But there's this place called Jungle House that sells plants and like plant accessories. Mm -hmm. And I went there one day and they had these succulents that had this just beautiful red shadow casted on their stem because the underside of their leaves if you will was like this really dark kind of velvet color and so their shadows like reflected on itself was red and I was just it just was so gorgeous to me and I told myself I need to like I need to paint this I need to like 
create this like fascination with this beautiful thing that I've discovered. And so with Creative Liberty, of course, I kind of redesigned this experience and I put it into the story. And it's kind of this idea that I have where can this creature that we associate with being sort of soulless find something like beautiful in something that's alive. So it's kind of like reversing the thought process with Seisha where we're taking something that re resembles an inanimate object and we're putting a human quality into it. And like, we're trying to find appreciation in it. But in Zanropa, I'm taking something that we don't associate like, okay, this is a robot that it, it's programmed to do things, but can it find beauty in its surroundings? Yeah, and again, it's interesting, especially too, because the settings can be entirely different. And then also, you know, all all the color schemes are really kind of blown out and funky. And you kind of just get to kind of explore, you know, like if we kind of consider their trajectory, like two years is a really long time to work on something for some for some artists, right? I say that as like, I definitely, my, my track of mind needs to shift because I'll probably lose it. But at the same time, I feel like then... <laughs> these kind of like painted collages are like a balancing act of that, you know? And then certainly with where you're at now, I would imagine then they could be a little bit more singular and kind of start kind of like feeding you ideas and, you know, like other things that you're going to be figuring out in terms of, you know, what you want to do, you know, down the line, or if this is going to come together in an animation. But, you know, as, as we're kind of nearing the end here, something that obviously, you know, we wanted to have you on to talk about is this exhibition. So maybe, maybe share some of the details of, you know, what you're exhibiting. Is it all new work? Is it kind of a mixture of both? Or tell us about it. So the exhibition that I'm going to have here soon is called What Now? And it's inspired <laughs> by that feeling, you know, when you leave grad school or even when you leave undergrad school, well, what now? Like, mm -hmm. what am I going to do? What is my work going to, um, what is my work going to look like? How am I going to make the work? And the exhibition is primarily featuring a lot of stuff that I had in my thesis show, Seisha, a Genesis, because I found it important. Okay. I can't just pack up the paintings and put them away. I want to show them for as long as possible because I just put so much time and effort into them. And, there is also some newer work that I made in my new studio space as well. So it's kind of a chronological showing of everything from grad school up until pretty much now. What's funny, though, is the recent work that I'm working on right now, I have some of it on display in Lawrence right now, but I will not have any of it in the show in Garden City, only because I just now made it. And what now my process of like putting it together is a tribute to every artist that is right now thinking that same thought. And I just want to reestablish to them, you will figure something out. Something will happen. Just give yourself time to believe and create and investigate what you're doing because it doesn't happen overnight. You need months, sometimes years. You need to give yourself time to figure out the answer to what now. Um, when is it opening? Like when's it run? All that other information, because I want people to be able to check it out if they can. It opens February 13th, and there'll be a closing reception on March 10th. And the Mercer Gallery, they have a Facebook page and also an Instagram. At, it's at mercer.gallery, and Mercer is M-E-R-C-E-R. -E and they will probably post some images of the show and they'll probably make an event for it on their social media too. Mercer Gallery at Garden City Community College located in Garden City, Kansas. And, you know, obviously I want to make sure people know, you know, what's up to date and, you know, stay up to date, but, you know, maybe just uh, remind us of uh, the website and place to follow again. My website is tristanrobertlindo.com. And I just quickly want to say as a warning, my website is really, I call it experimental because <laughs> it's, it's quite, it's a living organism. I keep changing it. And now that I'm working on this new body of work, it's going to keep getting more additional pieces and fragments to it. And 
my Instagram that I'm really active on, maybe too active, I got to get <laughs> off of that thing, is um, at Tris Robland, T-R-I-S-R-O-B-L-I-N-D. And I kind of treat it as a diary. So I put like little pieces of music that I don't want to forget about because I'm sure you you might be familiar with that. Like sure. you'll be working on something. There's a riff that you think has potential for something. And then, oh, don't remember what I did. I don't remember what key I was in, nothing. And I found that some people appreciate the music. So I'm like, well, I'll post it. Why not? I'm a very unprofessional Instagram poster. Just to, as another warning, I, I'm not in it for like <laughs> the super success. I'm just posting what I want to post. And if you like it, cool. If you don't, I'm really sorry. It's I'm, <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a traditional Instagram user. It's kind of my diary. Well, no, I think that's something that's interesting because you know, like rather than it just being a regurgitation of finished works, it's like you know, here's stuff in progress. And I think that's always something, you know, fun to kind of see because it gives you a different insight. You know, I think that's one of the things that, you know, I look back at in terms of this podcast, you know, it provides a different look into people's studio. And I think that, you know, following those lines, I mean, again, it kind of gives people a better idea of the different things that you're doing to kind of create, you know. And so that's always, you know, super exciting. And anyways, to kind of wrap this experience, obviously super excited to have, have talked to you this morning and learn a little bit more about your work. I feel like, again, as always, we kind of barely kind of scratched the surface. I feel like at the same time, like a five-hour podcast, uh, people would tap out after about uh, an hour. <laughs> but again, thanks so much for, for taking the time. It was really fun. No, oh, thank you, David. And seriously, thank you for all that you're doing. Um, your podcast is so amazing. It's really cool. Like you have so many different artists on the show. And like, again, I just think you're such a busy person. The fact that you're able to do this in the juggling act of life is just, bless you. Like seriously. Thanks again to Tristan for joining me. Be sure to check out his solo exhibition if you can. It's called What Now? And it's up at Mercer Gallery at Garden City Community College in Garden City, Kansas. That show runs through March 10th, where there'll also be a closing reception. So if you want more information, be sure to follow Mercer Gallery at mercer.gallery. You can also find Tristan's Instagram at Tris Row Blind, and of course you can find his website tristanrobertlindo-artist.com Just a quick reminder that all of this information is linked up right on Studio Break. You can listen to other podcasts right there. You can subscribe to the podcast. It's a great studio companion, so please be sure to peruse. We've got a lot of great artists that have been featured on the podcast. I do want to encourage you to sign up for our newsletter. We'll be giving away one of my paintings at the end of the year as a kind of bonus for those of you that have that newsletter subscription. So once again, please sign up there. Super easy to stay up to date about exhibitions that are be coming up in the new year, as well as other opportunities, interviews, and things like that. We will be making announcements about our student competition that runs annually this coming spring. So again, if you're a student, keep your eyes peeled and subscribe to that newsletter. Great way to stay informed is to be sure to follow Studio Break in social media. So be sure to like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break. And of course, on Instagram, be sure to follow. Say hello, especially if you enjoyed today's interview. It made you think at Studio underscore Break. Music for today's episode is by Golden Shadow, which features myself, Ben Cohan, and Brett Beery. You can follow us on Instagram at Golden Shadow Band. You can also find a link there for our EP that we put out last year on Bandcamp. If you want to see some of Ben's paintings, that's at Cohan Studio. And of course, you can find Brett Beery on Instagram as well. Listen to some of his albums that are linked there at Brett Beery. You do not have to go far to see some of my work. It's right there, integrated on Studio Break. So once again, you can find my work. You can check it out. Please be sure to follow at David Linaway pretty much everywhere. Say hello. Of course, it's always great hearing from listeners. I enjoy making this podcast for those of you that are out there working and just want something interesting to listen to. I hope that you enjoyed today's interview and discussion. I thought there was a lot of really interesting stuff. So once again, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you real soon.